good one for you guys this morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You guys feeling good? Yeah. You guys ready for this new year? I'm ready. I think there's good stuff happening. I've been talking to people just in my life and just uh, the circle of friends that I have and stuff. And God's already doing some pretty incredible stuff um, in the new year. One of my friends is just like uh, buying a place and it's about to close this week. And he's just like, man, what a way to start the new year. Other people I talk to, relationships are getting mended. And just over the holidays, they're like, man, I, I had these talks with just some, some family members and stuff is coming together and I'm just excited for them. But this is gonna be a new year. Do you guys believe it? You gotta believe for it, right? You gotta expect it with God. We always have that faith in what we cannot see, but in who we know, right? And so it's like, 2015 is gonna be good. Well, why, how do you know? I don't know, but I know who I serve. I know who's on my side, who has got my back, who believes in me. This is gonna be a good year, amen? So we're fired up and it's gonna be good. Well, I got a um, sermon this morning I wanna talk about um, it's kind of along the lines of, of resolutions and making resolutions. I love to always, the start of the new year, kind of speak towards like what's going to happen and what God's going to do in our lives. And the, the problem is sometimes I think when we make resolutions, we make all these resolutions that are really based on uh, goals or accomplishments. And they're good. And I think we should have resolutions because if you don't have resolutions, then not a lot gets done. There was a study by the University of Scranton. They published a study on New Year's resolutions. And one of the things it said is people who make resolutions are 10 times more likely to accomplish their goals for the year than people who don't. So it's a good idea to actually have goals and make them. There's a greater chance you're actually going to accomplish them. But it says this, that they're not New Year's wishes, but they're actual resolutions. By definition, it means the act of determining upon an action, a course of action, a method, or a procedure. So it's actually really saying, I'm going to do something and get it done. Here's what I see as a problem, though, sometimes with the resolutions, even in my own life, is I set resolutions, I set goals, but they're kind of, uh, they end up being kind of a little bit surfacey, a little bit shallow. Now, it's good to have the goals, and it, it bettered my life in some way, and I, and I got down the road a little bit further. But oftentimes what I find, and tell me if this is true in your own life, is maybe you set the goal of, hey, I want to lose 10 pounds, or I need to, like, exercise more, or I want to buy that new car, or whatever. You accomplish a goal, and you're kind of like, yeah, but it wasn't necessarily the full, total, beneficial, life change, contentment, peace, happiness, harmony that you thought it was going to be. Does anybody ever, ever can relate to that? You accomplish a goal, but you're like, I thought it was going to be better than this. Yeah, thank you. Hey, you know what? We have some loud people in the room t today that usually go to 11 a.m. service. You guys usually go to 11, don't you? That's a loud crowd. Just so you guys know, 11 o'clock service, they school you guys. They're loud. They're like, yeah, amen. They're fired up when they, when they hear the word of God preached to them. They love it. They eat it up. They make some noise. And you guys are, you're, you're good, but you got some work to do. So thank you, 11 a.m. people, for coming and infusing your enthusiasm for Jesus into the rest of these people. Yeah? Amen? Come on. I love you guys. So here's the deal. New Year's resolutions, sometimes they're a bit shallow. Like you finish, the, hey, I lost 10 pounds, yeah! And you're waiting for everybody to go, yeah, Carl! And you look around you and it's just crickets. <laughs> what happened, you know? And there's, there's, there's accomplishments that we set, and they're good, don't get me wrong, I think you should have them. But I think what I want to change in my life is more like for the long haul, not just like, well, this New Year I accomplished that one little goal. I want to change deeper. See, I believe that Jesus wants an ongoing life change so that from the inside out, a deeper sense of life is getting better versus I 
checked off one little thing on the list. Are you guys hearing me? And so what we're going to talk about this morning is, is if you look at your notes, I titled this sermon, what, What's Inside Matters Most? And you know what this is? This is Jesus in one of his famous sermons, um, the Sermon on the Mount. You guys ever heard of it? Matthew 5 through 7. Very, one of the, the best sermons probably ever written, the best sermon in the Bible. Jesus is best, the best. And it probably happened over a few days, and he went up on a mountainside in Capernaum in Galilee, and he was just speaking to his disciples and to the crowds that were following him. And he gives a sermon just about what life is all about. And really, he kind of, what I get out of this in the Beatitudes, it starts out with is um, what's inside matters most. And, and this, this area of scripture that starts off um, this great sermon. To me, as I was looking in my life, what are the resolutions, the changes, the, 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 the things I want to do to become a better person? Well, I went straight to the Bible. What does God have to say about this? Is there anywhere where Jesus just gave us kind of a short list of good things about our life? And sure enough, Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. It's, it's a bunch of verses. There's about eight of them all together. We're going to take four of them today. And it's good things that I looked at. I read these verses, and, I, and after each verse, I go, I could make that a resolution in my life. So I want to share those with you because I believe that these are more than little goals that we set for ourselves. These are Jesus-approved resolutions. These are the kind of things that are going to change you from the inside out because that's really what matters most, isn't it? Like a real inner life change. The Beatitudes is a, a word, a Latin word that basically means blessing, but it's more than blessing. I don't want you to take the Beatitudes lightly and think, oh, these are nice things. If you do these things, and it's describing the conduct and character traits of a Christian, Jesus is going, this is what my people should look like. In other words, if we're all Christians, this is how we roll. This is how we do things. This is what it should look like in our lives. But it's a blessing, not of just like, hey, something nice might happen to you. It's basically describing this word beatitude, describing this section, is a blessing that has to do with an inner joy of the soul. Are you guys hearing me? It's a deep satisfaction. It's a contentment. It's a, it's a happiness in life that's just, man, my whole entire being, life is good. My, I, I know where I'm going when I die. My spirituality, my everything. I am just so blessed. I'm happy. I live a good, full, content life. It's what we say around here, the best life possible. It's that kind of stuff. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning because what's inside matters most. How many of you guys have ever seen a food that looks so super amazing and delicious and it tastes terrible inside? Anybody ever eaten something like that? I recently ate an apple over the holidays, right? You got a fruit basket and all this. Oh, look at this fruit. Awesome. And there's a big, red, delicious apple right there, shiny, looking all good. I'm just waiting for the, the crisp crunch, the juicy like, you know, and the juices runs down your hand. You're like, this is so good. And I bite into it and it's like, like dust. You ever had that? The mushy apple? How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Those apples that like, they're deceiving and you're like officially angry at the fruit. You're just like, I can't believe you betrayed me. I just bit you. And you said, you know, you don't know what to do with it. I throw it away. I don't want to waste it. Can I juice it? It's probably just dust going to come out of it. Not juice. You know, you're just bummed. But there's always what's inside matters most. Are you guys hearing me? Like even with other foods, there's sometimes there's foods that on the outside look terrible and disgusting, but they're actually good. Anybody ever eaten natto in here? Anybody who likes natto? Not just you've eaten it, but you like it, you enjoy it. You pre Thank you. I like it. I like you guys know it for the rest of you. This is what nat natto is. Fermented soybeans. It's a Japanese delicacy. And I'm not just talking like, oh, they're old beans that you eat. No, they stick together. They're stringy. They're gross. They smell like a locker room, like burnt vomit or something. I don't know. It's bad. Like, just imagine how bad the worst smell could be. That's what natto smells like and looks like. It's, oh, my gosh. 
But then, you know what? I put off eating it for years. I've been to Japan over 20, 22 times or something like that. I never wanted to touch the stuff. Recently, I ate it, and I'm like, I like this stuff. This is good. It looks disgusting, but what's on the inside matters most, and I enjoy natto. So there's, you just never know. It's even with people, too, right? Because sometimes you can't judge a book by its cover, because I know that because look at how many couples are mixed-matched. You ever seen, like, one guy is that kind of a girl, you know, attractive, and the other one, not so much, you know? And <laughs> you're wondering, how did they get together? How did that girl get that guy? How did that guy get that girl? You know, what's, how did that happen? And it's because they know what's on the inside matters most. And that's a really nice, awesome, amazing person. They may not look it on the outside, but you guys know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> and how many of you couples right now are going, I wonder which one I am? <laughs> Oh, man, well, I don't know. But here's what, here's, the, here's what I'm getting at. Is I'm going to lock into your head the fact that Jesus, when he talks on the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking about the Beatitudes, is he says, I want you guys to have a real life-changing, transforming experience and lifetime for eternity with me that's going to be a blessing that's on the inside, and the stuff on the outside may not look it, but I want you to have a real inner life change. What's important is what's on the inside. And some of the resolutions we make every year are just kind of shallow, surfacey stuff, and it's not really getting to the heart of the matter. Well, Jesus cares about our hearts, and so I believe that what we're going to be sharing here is a little bit deeper, and it's how we can change our inner self and, and be better at that. It's not so much about the, the other stuff that we maybe, maybe some of our resolutions this year that we've made already are going to change when we look at what it really takes. One of my resolutions used to be one year was, I want to keep my truck clean. I got a, I got a uh, Toyota Tacoma. I want to keep it clean. I want to wash it every week, and I'm going to wax it every month. I used to be an auto detailer, and I get kind of like obsessive like that, right? And so I did a good job at maintaining. The problem was I kept the truck so clean that, hey, no eating in my car. No sand in my car. Watch out. Don't scratch my truck. Everything was like, I was like bumming my family out. Like they couldn't even be near the car, right? What I realized was something that was good, keep the truck clean, was actually just a surface thing and it was a problem. But the heart of the matter what was real is I need to be living my life. And that truck is for the purpose of, of taking my family to the beach, of allowing them to have a great life, of getting them from point A to point B, being practical so that we can live life and enjoy it and not worry about the truck. So here's, here's what I'm saying. Sometimes the resolutions we have, they're good. But what God wants to do in our attitude and in our heart is even better than what we think is good. You guys got that? So let's look at Matthew 5 now. Matthew 5 says this. One day as, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and he sat down. Thus the Sermon on the Mount. He was speaking from a mountainside. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. But we know if we read Matthew 5 and 7, is that not only did his disciples came around him, but all of the followers around that were just going, this guy is... Man, he's different, this Jesus guy. We know the Old Testament. We know the law of Moses. We know that we have to love God and we have to do the law and the religion and go to the temple and all that stuff. But this guy is different. And so the masses followed him. And they go, we love the way he teaches. He doesn't condemn us. He heals people. He does miracles. This is amazing. So Jesus gathers his disciples to tell them, this is what Christians should look like, the kind of life, life that you should live. But then he's also preaching because all of these crowds were sitting around him. So it says he went up and he began to teach them. And um, he starts in with the Beatitudes, which are going to be like eight verses, really, of, of sayings that, on how we can be blessed. And there's, there's this quote I was reading in regards to this by Ernest Hemingway. I read this quote this week. It's really neat. It says, there's nothing noble in being superior to your fellow man. True nobility is being superior to your former self. 
See, what really matters in life is the changes that can happen, that you constantly being a better person. And that's, that's why it goes beyond just a New Year's accomplishment, but you continually living a life that is the best life possible. And that's only through the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in us. Amen? So that's what we're going to talk about here today, that being blessed is more about who you are than what you do or what you accomplish, that real change starts within. So let's look at the first beatitude here. In verse 3, it says, Jesus teaching the people, real simple stuff. God blesses those who are poor. And in some of your Bible translations, it might say poor in spirit. It says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Let's talk about this first one. What he's saying is not about financial poverty, okay? It's not, he may read it poor. He blesses those that are poor. Well, he does in other ways as we honor him with our finances and all of that. But what he's talking about here is poor in spirit. That spiritually, you have nothing to offer God. That you realize your need for him. It's basically what it's saying this, is that blessed are you, fully content, happy, satisfied, joy of the soul, are you if you realize that you need God. That you remember on the daily how much you need God. That in no way, shape, or form could you ever earn or buy, buy your way into good standing with God. That you could ever make it to heaven. That you could ever do all the things that you do in life where God's helping you and speaking to you and, and blessing you. You can't do it on your own. And he says, to be a follower of Jesus Christ is you need to remember your place in this world and what you have. And there's no way you could have a relationship with God if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23 reminds us this. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I'll tell you this, doesn't matter how long I've been a Christian, how long I've been a pastor, whatever, I know every single day I'm a sinner and I deserve hell. That's just who I am because I'm a human being and all mankind has fallen short of the glory of God. And I realize that I don't have any business knowing God or being in heaven if it wasn't for what he did for me. Are you guys hearing me? And we'd have that attitude going into this new year. I need to remember that I have a need for God, that we can get prideful sometimes and we start to think, well, I need salvation. I need to know Jesus so I can go to heaven. But then living our lives on earth, we, we forget about the surrender part. We forget about the part of letting him lead us on the daily. We just think, well, yeah, I just need Jesus for this. I don't need him for the day-to-day -day stuff. No, it's actually saying, remember that you need him in all circumstances, that you're in a world, scripture says we're in a world of darkness without Jesus, the light of the world coming in and shining his light on us. See, the other night, um, Friday night, do you guys experience those crazy winds and the storm? How was that at your house? There's trees knocked down and everything. I don't get how Hawaii, like, they talk about, oh, watch out, the Hurricane Isabel or Isel or whatever, you know, the hurricane warnings are crazy, and all this is like a light breeze. We're like, what? Where's the hurricane, you know? <laughs> And then they're like, oh, by the way, there's going to be some gusty winds tonight, not hurricane. But then that's the one that's like ripping solar panels off our houses and all of this stuff, right? What's up with that? Um, guy Hoggy, I blame Guy Hoggy. No, I don't. He's, he's a good guy. He surfs. I've seen him out in the water, but I feel bad for him, poor guy. But um, Friday night, crazy winds, storms, rain coming in sideways, all of that stuff. Before it got really bad... We come to church. I preach on Friday night service. So I got my, my family like, hey, we're going to church. But my son was feeling sick. Now he had a sore throat and a fever. And I said, I don't want you coming to church. You might get more sick, but I don't want you to go in the junior high room and get everybody else's kids sick too. So sorry, you got to stay home. That's just the right thing to do. And he's like, oh, you guys are ditching me. We're like, no, we're just going to go to church. We'll be back in a few hours. And he's like, oh, he didn't want to be home alone, right? 13 years old, but still doesn't want to be home alone. And so, um, we're just like, relax, you're, you're fine, you know, you got the dog. And he's like, oh, I don't want the dog, you know. 
you're going to be cool. He's kind of drama sometimes, and so we just kind of, well, we're going to church. We'll be back. You can handle. No big deal. Relax. You know, calm down. And so we go to church, and um, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching, and my wife is in the front row. She texts him, hey, how you doing? You okay? And the storm started getting worse, right? It started whipping. Yeah, how you doing? You okay? And then he, he texts back. He's like, no. She's like, well, why? What's going on? Sends a picture. The picture is just a, a black screen, right? And so she goes, uh, what's that? And she goes, he goes, this is my world right now. The power went out. <laughs> and the winds are whipping and trees are falling over. And he's home alone in the dark, just like, ah, like freaking out, right? And he's like, this is my world, black screen. Like, this is all I live. He was so scared. She's like, go to the garage and get a lantern. He's like, no. He's like, on the couch. We came home. He's on the couch with the computer. Internet wasn't even working. So it's just like light for him. Too scared to go into the garage, get the flashlights. Too scared to go upstairs to his room. He's just like, on the couch. I'm not moving until they come home. And it was, we felt super bad because we're like, drama. You can handle. And then all the lights go out and the guy's home alone in the dark. It felt bad, but kind of funny. But... Um, <laughs> But this is what I think, this is what I think about. In my life, I'm like my son Isaac if I don't have God in my life. And I very well realize that every single day. Is that all I deserve because I'm not perfect and holy and that's all God is and that's all he lets in his presence. If it wasn't for the forgiving power of the cross and what Jesus did to allow us to come into his presence, I'm out in the cold, man. I'm alone in the dark and I'm freaking out. I don't know how to be a good husband on my own, guys. I don't. I don't know how to, to pastor a church on my own. I don't know how to, to be a good dad to my kids. I don't know how to do any of that stuff. I, I could try my best and kind of get by and wing it. Or I could understand that, man, I need God every day and I'm going to live like I need him. And I'm going to express thanks to my God every single day. When I wake up in the morning, I'm going to let him know that I need him. Amen? So here, and all of that to say this. First resolution. What do I get out of this verse right here that says realize your need for him? First resolution, write this one down. This year in 2015, express your thanks to God. Express it. Real simple. But we can do it in a lot of ways. Wake up in the morning instantly when you pray. Not like, oh, God, I hope my day's not bad. And give me this, give me that. We just wake up and go, God, thank you that I'm here. Thank you for another day. Thank you for my life. Thank you for my job. Thank you for, Lord, I need you. I realize that I really need you in my life. Right? So that we would express that. How do we express that? Well, we can express it through prayers. We can ex express it through all kinds of stuff. When we write in our journals and stuff and just, God, thank you for everything that you do. When you come into church, you come into worship. You guys realize that worship is different than singing songs. We call that time of the service worship, but really God says to live a life of worship. And one of the ways we express thanks and worship to God, giving him value and honor and worth, is when we come into the singing portion of the service, that's not singing songs. That's worshiping and praising the God that we realize we need you. We need you bad. And so when you worship, guys, challenge you. Worship hard. Worship real. Worship from the heart. If you have to close your eyes, if you have to raise your hands, if you have to kneel, whatever you need to do, Psalms talks all about all those postures of worship. Sing unto the Lord, shout with praise, clap your hands, raise holy hands unto God. That's why we do this, right? Some people come to church like, the guys are weird, they're raising their hands. No, there's a reason. Because we're going, man, I need you, God, and this is my way I express thanks. I mean, how, how weird is it? Is it really that weird? You go to a ball game and everybody, yeah, everybody's clapping. and everybody, You go to a rock concert, everybody's like, yeah, lighters out, and we do all this. Is that weird? No. Well, why should it be weird to worship our God with our hands raised? But whatever you do to express thanks, 2015, start expressing your thanks to God because you need God every single day. Amen? There's our first resolution. Here's the second one. 
it says in verse 4, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, technically speaking, this, he's not speaking about just basic mourning because something hurt or you, you, have, you experienced loss or grief or whatever. There's a lot of places in Scripture that talk about God will comfort those in, in need and those that are hurting and stuff. That's definitely a, a Bible concept. But when he's talking about God blessing those who mourn, he's specifically talking about people that mourn spiritually. And what you're mourning spiritually is the fact that you've sinned and you've gone against God's law and his grace and his love and the times in your life when you've let God down. And God is reaching out to have this relationship that he loves us. He only wants to give us the best. But that you'd be someone that, the way I look at this and I read this is, Carl, own your mistakes. Own your sin. That's what I think it's talking about. It says mourn. It's, the word mourn means to experience deep grief. It's grief over sin in your life, the areas that you fall short and that you've gone against God's best for your life. And if you have that kind of a repentant heart, a kind of heart that grieves and you go, God, I can't believe I'm sorry I said that yesterday to my wife or I said that to someone. And, and you're not just like, yeah, well, whatever. They'll get over it. Then God's not going to comfort you. He's not going to give you the reward of the blessings in life. He wants to know that you come to him with a broken and contrite heart that says, God, I realize that I'm nothing without you and that when I make mistakes, that I own up to them and that I face them and I admit them, I confess them, I apologize if I have to. And then the other final step is that you'd actually let it go. You'd give it to God and then say, God, I'm sorry about it and I give it to you. That's the time when the Holy Spirit can come in and he can begin to comfort you and to take that stuff away. Because... If you try to sweep away the swin, sin under the, the carpet, you kind of just try to, well, yeah, I said that, but whatever, and you try to justify it and give excuse, you know, all you're doing is just trying to superficially patch over something bad that you did, and that thing's always going to come back and nag at you and haunt you and speak to you and make, drag you down further, make you feel worse about yourself. It's only when we face it and go, oh, man, I blew it. I'm sorry. The prodigal son, Luke 15, right? The dad, wealthy Man gives his two sons, hey, you guys have my inheritance when I die. The one son says, I want it all now. Give me my portion now. All right, fine. I love you. I'll give it to you now. He runs off. He wastes all of his money. He's down in the dumps. He's living with the pigs. He has nothing. So he makes his way back home, all disheveled, all bummed out, all disappointed. But he's, he's repentant from the heart. He understands. He's grieving over what he has done. Then he comes and he goes, look, dad, I get it. I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. And could I just be your servant maybe in your house just because I'm hungry and I need something to eat? He's, he's a broken man to the point of, I know I did wrong, right? And what does a dad do? The dad comes in and comforts him and rewards him. And he goes, let's go kill the, the cow. Let's throw a party. Let's clean you up. Let's get you a bath. Let's put rings on your fingers. Let's do all this. I love you, my son. You understand what you did and the repentance as, as something that set him free to be blessed. Here's what I think in our lives is too many times we, we don't do this. We don't mourn over our sin. We just try to put, cover it up with something else. We start feeling bad. And so we go, oh, in order to, 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 to fix the hurt that I'm feeling because I did something wrong, instead of repenting, we just go, well, I'm just going to go make more money. Or I'm going to go do this over here. Or I lied about this, so now I have to lie to cover up that lie, to cover up that lie. And we gain all these other things in the world. Maybe it's like relationships or, or substance abuse or, or we get into money or something, all to cover up this other thing. And all we're doing in that case, by not addressing the sin, we're putting a Band-Aid on something that needs surgery, right? Where there's something in our life that God needs to get in there and fix. And guess what? It's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. There's things in our lives where we've let God down and we should be mourning over them and going, ah, oh, 
God, I'm so sorry I did this, but you know what? I'm going to face it. I'm going to own my mistakes, get to work on this thing. It's going to be embarrassing if I get found out about this. It might hurt a lot, but you know what? If I do this, then 2015 is the year that I got free of that sin. And I got comforted by the Holy Spirit, and I can move forward in life, and I don't have to keep that stinking wound in my life anymore. Are you guys hearing me? So it says you got to mourn over that sin, that you should be repentant over it. Because Mark 8, 36, you know, you keep putting the band-aids on. It says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Why, you know, stop, keep building up the list, one thing to cover the other thing to cover the other thing. Just deal with it from the get-go. Yeah, it's going to hurt. It's going to be embarrassing, but deal with it. Resolution number two for 2015, deal with sin. Don't ignore it. Just deal with it. Whatever's going on and you know you've, you've let God down or you've let people down, go face it. Get over it so that the healing and the comforting can come because that's what God promises. The comforter will come. Is that good? That's a good one right there. I could walk away with that one and just have enough, right? Like that, sometimes you read the word of God and you can read chapters. Sometimes you read one verse and you're like, oh my gosh, that's gonna take me five months to get over, you know? Like it just speaks to you, but that's a good one. Here's the third one. Verse five says, God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the whole earth. That's a big one right there. That God, the way I read the Bible is, time after time, Old Testament, New Testament, God always promotes the humble. He always rewards humility. He always exalts and rewards and promotes people that, the word here actually is the word meek, M-E-E-K, meekness. And the word meek here is that you put God in others before yourself. As that you say, I could step up to you and challenge you, but I choose not to. Don't confuse the word meek or humble with weak. Some people think like, oh, that guy's so weak. No, they're not weak. You know what meekness is? Power under control. That is something to be respected. That is something. If you know people that are meek, man, because you know what they could do, but you know what they choose not to do. I love that, man. That's, that's powerful. Jesus, it says, in, Paul writes in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, he says, you must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. That is the ultimate example of humility and meekness, not weakness. He could have said, I'm the son of God, bow down, right? But instead he goes, you know what? This is what I came to do. And I'm putting all of that power and everything aside because I'm going to go to the cross because it's going to bring about a, bit, a greater good. That's meekness. That's power under control. The word, the Greek word praeus for the word meek, it actually means this. It refers to domesticated animals. If you can think of a, a, a wild ox or a horse or something, and they come along and they get trained that all their power and all of their like oh, aggression and everything, they get trained to submit to the human beings and to be controlled and to be used to plow fields or to, to drag chariots or do whatever it is, is that they have this power, but they've been trained to submit, to, to allow the humans to control them. And it's the, the heart of what we should have towards God. See, when I think of domesticated animals, I think of my own dog. Well, it's not, he's not my dog. I don't like to call him my dog. He's my wife's dog. He lives in my house. So he's... <laughs> He looks like this. This is my dog, our, our dog, her dog, Richter. He is all of like a foot tall. He is a Chihuahua uh, Jack Russell mix. So he's small and he's loud, right? 
And um, he, try, he thinks he can run the house. Like he's like a little midget and he tries to nip at the kids and he jumps on the furniture and the, the coffee table that I made out of pallets and you better not touch that dog, right? He jumps on my stuff and I'm like, ah! I'm yelling at this dog all the time. We paid for him to go to training, to get obedience school. He comes back, he's kind of the same. I'm just, <laughs> it's a deal, big deal. We got a shock collar and a thing now. Like that's really, like you couldn't do anything so we have to do the work now. And, and, but I love to shock him, I do. Don't tell my wife. <laughs> because he needs to know who is the, the king of the castle, right? Like who's the owner here? And so he always tries to get, you know, whatever with me. And, but he knows, this is the good thing is, he does know when I talk, when I tell him, when I say what's up, and Richter! He comes, like wherever he is, across the yard, or wherever, he'll come running over, and this is what he does to me. Boom, submit. <laughs> submit, instantly, submit, ah, right? Surrender, ah, he does this, it's so funny. I never trained him how to do this, I never taught him how to do this. Instinctively, he knows who's the alpha male in the house, right? Now here's the deal that we gotta realize, because sometimes we wanna run our own way and yap at our own stuff and rah, 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 do our own deal. We gotta recognize who is the alpha and the omega, right? He's our boss, he's the one that we could say stuff, right? We have the power and we have a voice and we have all of that, but instead we choose, you know, I'm gonna take the, the form of a humble, meek servant, God, your way, Yahweh, not my way, right? Yahweh, not your way. Just remember that one. That's a good little phrase to recognize right there is, is that God says, I'll bless those who are humble, those who are meek, those who will submit to me, those that submit to others. That You could say something, but you choose not to. Here's a resolution I get out of that. This is one I wrote down for myself. Listen more, talk less. In 2015, listen more, talk less. Now, this is on two levels, to God and to other people, right? It's a vertical level and a horizontal level. Listen more, talk less. You do that, you're a humble person. You're a meek person. And then you will inherit the earth. You know what that means? The world is yours. There's opportunities. People like people that are meek, right? It's, if, and they understand it's not weakness. You could, you could climb the business ladder by stepping on people and being rude and just grasping and being greedy, but really, it's gonna catch up with you one day. But what people honor, even in the business world and even in relationships, family matters, is someone that could argue, but they choose not to. That sometimes we choose to lose the battle in order to win the war, right? That we sometimes we compromise. And my wife was talking to me the other day, and she goes, I just got to tell you about this. I got to vent. She started talking. And I just jump right in there, try to fix it like a man. Like, that's what we do, right? We fix stuff. Jump right in. Whoa, let me tell you what's up. You know? And she goes, wait, I'm talking. Are you just going to listen to me? And I went, oh, you're right. I got to listen more, talk less. And I let her just go and I let her get it out of her system. And then we had a good talk after that, but I needed to be humble to her and not push my opinion, but just to let, let her vent and let her talk out her problem. And pretty much as women do, sometimes they talk the problems all right, right talk themselves right out of the problem, right? <laughs> they don't even need us. We're just there going, sure, yeah. Walk away and I'm happy. We won that day, right? <laughs> I lost the battle, but I won the war, right? My wife is still happy, happy wife, happy life. That's, I'm, I live to fight another day. We gotta understand that humility, it's a simple resolution. Listen more, talk less, you know, to God. Make sure you have a Sabbath. Make sure you have a, a Selah moment. Make sure you have those moments every day where you're not just telling God what you need from Him, 
but you're just sitting in his presence and you're just listening and letting him speak to you, letting him tell you what your life should be about and what you need to change and how he's proud of you and how he wants you to do different things is listen more, talk less. It keeps you humble. That's, that's my uh, resolution for that one. And here's the a, here's a last one that I really like in verse six. It says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, which is righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Now, this is what I want you to understand here. He's not just saying that you would hunger and thirst for God, but that you would hunger and thirst. The word justice here, righteousness, doesn't just mean right, making right decisions. It means you'd hunger and thirst to be right with God. That's something very different. Everything that you do is acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. Because I think that sometimes in our lives, we read the verse a little bit differently, and we, we think it just means being right. There's a difference between you always wanting to be right and you always wanting to be right with God. Amen? You guys hearing me on that one? Because we can do the technical, bare minimum Christian requirements. Like, I go to church, I read my Bible, I'm a good person, right? And God's going, there's, there's more to it than that. Remember the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount, it's about inner deep change, not surfacey stuff. He's talking to people, the Jews in the, in the early church, the culture they lived in was you do the surfacey stuff and you're good. You go to church, you tithe your money, you go to temple, you, you, you follow the law and you're good. And Jesus is going, I'm kind of changing everything up. What I, what I value now is a right heart, a right spirit, more importantly than the surface level kind of stuff. So not just that you look right, but that you're deep down, you're right with God. And that's every day I strive to please God in all that I say and do. I had a job once. I worked at a health food store when I was in um, high school. I think I was, what was it? I was junior year or something like that. And I worked in a health food store for about a year. And I only worked on weekends because I had school and everything. And I worked downtown. And um, I went and I was just like a stock boy, right? So I just like refilled. It was a health food store, right? So it's like refilling the the carob containers and the, the yogurt raisins and all the healthy kind of good stuff, right? I did that. I, uh, a lot of my day I would spend um, in the little, they had a little cheese counter and I would spend all day cutting the cheese. I tell that one to my kids, they laugh every time. <laughs> I got paid to cut the cheese all day. And they're like, well, that's so sick. I'm like, no, not that kind. But literally, I was like a cheese cutter and I filled the containers and I did I just all that kind of box boy, all that kind of stuff, right? And, I, and after a year, I stopped working at this job. I quit. I wanted to go to another job. And, and, I, and the boss was actually kind of a friend of mine from church. Um, and he, was, he lived on my same street. So I quit the job, and he seemed cool with that. But he's still kind of my boss, still kind of intimidating. And he called me over one day, and he said, hey, um, let me talk to you about your job. And I was like, oh, oh, no, what? I thought I was going to get it. And he kind of sat down, and he goes, hey, you know, I just want to say thanks for working for me. I'm, I'm glad you're getting a new job and whatnot. But... Um, I want to just kind of tell you about your, your work habits and stuff. And I was like, oh, no, I'm going to get it right now. And I'm like, how's this guy? I quit already. Now he's going to just yell at me. Like, you can't do that. You're not my boss anymore. And I was all worried, right? And I was real defensive. And he said, hey, you, you did this, and you did what was required, and you did what I asked and everything, but uh, you kind of just did just enough, like you did bare minimum. And in my head, I'm thinking, I did everything you asked me to do. I cut the cheese. I cut the cheese, man. You want me to refill the, the granola? I fill that granola, you know, whatever. And he's going, no, you, you did it. Technically, you did the job, but you could have gone the extra mile. You could have been a little, like, more uh, courteous and happy and welcoming with customers, or you didn't really even get to know any of your coworkers that much. You're kind of in your own world and doing just, you, you did your stuff, but and I'm just thinking, I did everything. I did everything. See, there was a difference in doing the job right, right? That was like, oh, I did it right. 
And there's a difference between doing what was right to my boss, right? He had a different set of standards that's going, yeah, you can just get by. And I think too many times in our life, we, we want to just kind of, well, I, I strive to do what's right. I'm a good person. And God's going, no, it's, it's deeper than that. I got more for you than that. You should strive to be right with me in every decision that you make. Well, technically, I, you know, I, I stood up for myself in this confrontation and I stood up for what's right. Yeah, but you walked away and you had a bitter, negative, unforgiving heart towards that person and it ate up your life. See, you could be right on a technical level that you argued with that person, you stood up for what's right and truth and you walked away and that, it would look like that's right. But being right isn't enough. Being right with God is when you go, and God, I don't want to harbor any bitterness toward that person anymore. I don't want to think negatively of them anymore. I want to get rid of all of that. If it's said and done, now I did what is right and pleasing to God. Do you guys see the difference there? And so I, I love that it's saying this, is that it's saying that, that we should hunger and thirst for rightness. Here's what I love. Paul the Apostle writes in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14. And I like the, the regular other, the New Living Translation version and the New King James, but the message version says it real plain to me. It says it like this. Paul talking. I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I have it made. In other words, he's going, look, I'm telling you how to live your life, but I'm not saying I got it all together. He goes, I'll, I'll, let me be real with you. I don't have it all together. I don't have it made. He says, but I'm well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has wondrously reached out for me. He goes, I'm on my way. I don't have it all together, but I'm reaching out for God. Like, I want to just please him. He says, friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. He goes, I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. See, Paul was hungry for the things of God. He didn't have it all together, but he was hungering and thirsting that his life, that his words, that his actions would line up and be appealing and pleasing to God. Because then if you do, look at what the promise to that um, says at the end of it. It says, they will be satisfied it says that if you're living your life in such a way that you know you're in right standing and every decision you make, you're praying over, you're, you're making sure that it's, that God, I just want to please you, I want to do what's right. If you do, you're going to live your life well satisfied. The word satisfied here has to do with when you've enjoyed a good meal and at the end of your meal, you're full and content. How many of you guys ate too much over the holidays? Yeah, and how many of you guys are like, oh, I made it a new habit. I'm just going to keep, that's my resolution. Get as big as I can. Like, no, that's not a good thing. But... Over the holidays on New Year's Eve, we went to our friend's house. Oh my gosh, our, the family to us, the Colson family. You guys know the Colsons in our church? Oh, one of the most awesome families in the church. Not that I don't love you, but I'm just saying, some of you guys, let's, let's be plain and real. He makes pizza for me, and I love pizza. And Mike Colson makes the best. He literally built his own brick oven in his backyard, and he cooks homemade pizzas. They roll out the dough. Tate Fergie rolls the dough, and he's uh, doing the Italian thing, and he makes it. And put your own toppings on it, and they make these pizzas. I already, just so you guys know, I love pizza. I mean, I really love pizza. It's like my favorite food. I'll eat Tombstone. I'll eat Formaggio. I'll, I'll eat, uh, what is, what is the, uh, the Safeway brand? I'll eat Kirkland. I ate Costco pizza last night. I love pizza. But when I go to Mike's house, he makes the best homemade pizza. So all New Year's Eve night, he's making pizzas. And inside is all amazing Filipino food from Christine and her mom and everything. I'm eating all of that, pork and all that's good. But I was just sitting by the pizza oven all night long. <laughs> And I was just shoveling it all in. And at the end of the night, I came in. I was sitting at the table. I couldn't even talk. Everybody's like, yeah, happy new year. I'm like, nope, I'm just happy right now. 
sitting at the table, fat and happy and just content and just like, yeah, who cares, New Year's? I'm just full of pizza right now. I'm in heaven right now. This is so delighted and happy. And I think that what it's saying here is when you chase after being right with God, when you sincerely, you're hungry for being right and pleasing God in everything that you do, then he's gonna meet you there and you're gonna be satisfied in life. Yesterday I was driving around. I went to the beach in the morning and I went to Costco in the afternoon and I was driving through Waimanalo a couple times. And as I was driving, I was just in my car thinking of my life and I just started smiling. I just started going, God, my life is good. I, it's the same feeling of pizza overload the other night. I was just like, <laughs> thank you, God. Like, I'm, I'm content. I know that in everything I do, again, I'm like Paul, I'm not perfect, but I know what I'm reaching for and what I'm striving for is that in everything I do and say, I'm trying to listen to you so that I do it right, so that I please you. And if I live a life like that, I don't look back at like what I did yesterday or last night or two years ago or whatever. I don't have any regrets. I don't have guilt. I don't have shame because I'm going, I've tried to serve God in everything that I do. I want to be right with him. I sure make some mistakes along the way, but he knows my heart and he knows that I'm trying and I can just be driving down the road and I'm an just going, I love my life. Thank you, God. Still got to pay some bills. Still got to have some conflict over here. Still got this stuff. Doesn't matter. I am full and content because I am in God's will. There's no better place to be than in God's will. Do you know that? Doesn't matter. The greatest blessing pops up in your life. You could be the most broke as a joke guy on the street. But if you know you're in God's will and you're where you're supposed to be, you're content. You're full and you're happy and you're just like, yes, God. And that's the promise to us. If we are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for being right with God. Well, here's the resolution I have, the fourth one for you guys today. It has to do with being hungry. And if you're hungry, you need to be fed. So it, it, it's a quali I have to qualify this one, but here's my resolution. Have godly feeders. Now let me qualify. What does that mean? Feeders. Well, if the Bible says that I should be hungry and thirsty to, to please God, then what are the things in my life that I have that feed that in my life? They keep me pleasing God. And there's a few of them. Number one, I told you guys is the Holy Spirit. I talk to the Holy Spirit all the time. I ask him. He lives in me, by the way. He lives in all of you. He's in temple. Body is a temple, right? But I talk to him all the time. Lord, I'm hungry to do what's right for you. So where I get fed is, Holy Spirit, show me how to make right decisions today. Lead me today. I pray over everything. I was, praying, I was getting new tires the other day, and I'm shopping around, and I'm doing my part that I can do physically, but I'm praying over something like that. God, show me the best place to get tires, the best deal. Or if it's not even about the money, maybe it's an opportunity that I could meet someone along the way to invite to church or whatever. I don't know, but I just trust you. I'm going to pray over my tires, right? I pray over the mundane stuff because I want to do what's right and most pleasing to God, not just right by my standards, but right by his standards. You guys hearing me on that one? Pray over everything. One of the things I appreciate about this church is uh, working on staff around here. Sometimes we, we got to make all these heavy decisions about uh, different things in the church and different people and finances and all of that stuff. It changes every week. There's so many times that we get stumped, though, because we don't know enough. And I love that someone on the staff, and it's not usually always me, it's anybody on the staff, hey, we should just pray about it. Let's just ask God for help. We want to do what's right and what's best, not what we think is best, but what he knows is best. That's oh, good. So we'll stop and pray anywhere, at all, all the time. I love working at this church because we just stop and pray whenever we need it, which is all the time. My circle of friends, we're the same. Like, hey, we better pray about that right now. I'm at home, and me and my wife, hey, should we do this? I don't know. Let's pray about it. Can we just pray real quick? Yeah, let's pray. And we just pray. Because we want to know what God wants, not just what we think is good. Is that making sense? So what feeds your, your desire for, for righteousness? Holy Spirit. Secondly, other Christians. 
You have other Christians in your life that you bounce ideas off of before you make the decision. Hey, what do you think about this? Well, I think that God is this and whatever, and they're gonna give you good godly advice. We need those people. The other thing would be check the word of God, the Bible, there's no substitute for it. You, you, you're looking for answers, the Bible's full of answers to all of life's questions. You check the word, that feeds my desire and my hunger for righteousness. And, and lastly, it's just plain and simple, godly wisdom. The Bible says that if you seek wisdom, ask God. He's generous. He wants to give it to you. Just ask him, God, I don't know what to do in this situation. Me, I go into my shower. That's my prayer place, right? I go into my prayer closet in the shower, and I'm just crying. God, I need some help. By the time I, I turn off the water and I'm out, God just filled my head with answers to my questions and gave me ideas and gave me direction for life. And I'm just like, yeah, thank you. God, I asked for wisdom, and you give it to me. So that's my, my last resolution right there is just have godly feeders that feed that, that in your life. Has, have these been some good ones for you? I hope that you understand like, that there's stuff that changes us inside, right? And honestly, if you begin to follow some of the things that Jesus gave us here, I would imagine that some of the outer, more shallow resolutions and goals that you have, they might change. Or actually, most of them will probably come to fruition and be accomplished faster because you're changing the inner you. One of my resolutions, God, I want a better relationship with my kids. Well, if I follow the one that says be humble and meek and stop talking and listen more to your kids, then I can check off the list 2015. I got a better relationship with my kids because I followed what Jesus had to say. Is that good? So these things relate to the other things. And anyway, that's, it's gonna be a good year, guys. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for this new year. We thank you for your word that... Um, God, your word is, is, is fresh and new every day. Your mercies are new every morning. Psalm 40 talks about um, we can always sing a new song. You've given us a new song to sing in our hearts. Lord, every day is a new opportunity for you to bless us and to do new things. And Lord, not that we just want to accomplish certain goals in our life, but Lord, we just want to be better people from the inside out. So I pray, Lord, that this year that our resolutions would all revolve around you and focus on you, and it would be about deeper issues rather than just surface stuff, God. I pray right now, Lord, if there's anybody in the room, if there's anybody that came today looking for God or looking for answers from God, that God would be meeting you here and he would be speaking to you right now. And maybe you came here today and you've never even started a real relationship with God in the first place. Maybe you knew about God or you've been to church before, but you've never actually surrendered your life to him. You've never actually chosen to follow him deeply from your heart not just on a surface level and saying that you wanna do good and be a religious person, but literally making Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior and choosing to follow him and choosing to humble yourself to him and to, to obey him and all that he's asking of your life. If you've never really taken that step to say, I really want to be a Christian, I wanna follow God, I wanna know what he could do in my life. I repent of all the wrong that I've ever done so that God can change me and he can have a relationship with me, he can heal me, he can move me forward. If that's something you'd like to do today, I'd love to say a prayer right now to make things right between you and God, to start you off on an eternal journey where God is on your side now, that he believes in you, he's working in your life, where you don't follow the pattern of this world or yourself anymore, but you put him first in all areas. And that's what you'd like to do this morning, just to say, I'm ready to take a step of faith and become a Christian. Then I wanna pray with you right now. I'm gonna say a prayer, and I'm gonna pray out loud into this microphone here. I'm gonna pray the words that I want you to pray along with me in your heart to God. I'm not gonna ask you to pray out loud in front of all these people that might be kind of scary, but I'm gonna ask you in your heart of hearts, because that's what God judges us on is our heart, it says that in scripture, 
that you would cry out from your heart the words that I pray out loud, you would make them the prayer of your heart today and that, that you, would, you would want God in your life and you'd ask him to forgive you. And so we're gonna pray in a minute here, but I wanna do one thing. Everybody's got their eyes closed and their heads bowed because we're praying right now. But if you wanna say this prayer to invite Jesus into your life, to be the Lord of your life, to start afresh, before I say this prayer, I want you to let me know that we're praying together. I just wanna know who I'm privileged to pray with this morning. So I'm gonna count to three, real simple. And when I count to three, I'm gonna ask that if you wanna pray this with me, you just raise your hand. No one else has to see you, but you just raise your hand just so I see it. So on the count of three, lift those hands and then we're gonna pray. One, two, three. Is there anybody in the room today? I see one hand right there. I see two. I'm looking around. I see three over here. I see four. I see five. Thank you, Father God, for those hands. If I didn't see you, hey, don't worry about it. God saw you. I saw about five people here today. Go ahead and put your hand down and we're gonna pray. And the reason those people are clapping is because they know what you're about to do because they've done it themselves at one point in their lives. They've said yes and they're, they're reaping the benefits of a life with Jesus Christ and the forgiveness and the healing and the love and the grace and all that he's shown towards them. That's why they're clapping for you. So here's the prayer. I want you just to agree with me in your heart to God. He hears you. He hears you. But just follow along with these words. God, I'm here today and I recognize my need for you. I realize that I need you. I realize that on my own, I'm pretty weak and I can't do a whole lot of stuff. And Lord, I have no hope for an afterlife. I have no hope for eternity unless I have you. So God, here I am today and I'm just saying, I want you, I need you. I want you to be the God of my life. And I realize that the way that I do that is by believing that your son, Jesus Christ, came down to this earth 2000 years ago. And he died on a cross. He paid a, uh, the price of a criminal's death even though he was without sin. He didn't do anything wrong. I believe, God, that he did that for me and for every other person that would acknowledge Jesus Christ and want to be a Christian. I believe that Jesus Christ paid the price for all of my sin and my shame and my guilt and my wrongdoing and my rebellion against you. That he put that to death at the cross. And then he rose again on the third day to prove that he's Lord over the death, the sin, the shame, all of that stuff in my life and everyone else's life that would just say yes to him. So God, I believe in Jesus and what he did and that I'm forgiven and that I have a new life ahead of me. And Lord, I believe it, I receive it. And from here on out, I'm gonna live it all of my days. Thank you for what I have in store, Lord. I have heaven to look forward to. I have you to look forward to in my life, starting now as you begin to lead me and guide me, as I learn more about you and in my Bible and in going to church and being surrounded by other Christians. Lord, as I get water baptized, just to tell everybody, look, I made a change in my life. I'm dying to my old self. I'm being born again a new creation. The past is washed away and I'm healed and I'm forgiven and I'm holy now and I have a relationship with you. The word holy doesn't mean super religious. It simply means set apart for God's purposes. And that from here on out, you're on God's team and he's got your back and he loves you. And that, that you'd be willing to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that he would do miracles in your life to prove that he is real. But for all of this, we are thankful. Lord, from this moment forward, we know that we're in the family of God for eternity. Thank you for loving us, for dying on that cross, for all that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's praise God for those five people right now. Amen.